listening to the Arsenal Rumble. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Arsenal Rumble, where today we're going to be discussing Arsenal's fairly disappointing 2 all draw to West Ham at the weekend. Uh, has a feeling of deja vu, especially with uh, how the game went in this game and the uh, Liverpool game that preceded it. But to talk me through that deja vu feeling is my co-rambler, Dave. Dave, how you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, I'm all good, mate. Um, I, I don't know, actually. I feel a bit mixed. Like On one side of the coin, I'm obviously really sad about the fact that we couldn't beat West Ham because it seems like one of those games where we really needed to, to get the three points here. Um, but then on the other side of the coin, you know, we're still top of the league. Um, four points ahead of City. Yes, they've got a game in hand, but it's still four points. Um, it's just it's just a bit disappointing, isn't it? That I suppose that's the word. Um, you see some fans using the word bottle, and, and I, I really dislike that word because uh, it's nothing. It's it's nowhere near bottling it. Um, it's just a little blip, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I just feel a little bit. Ugh. How are you feeling? Yeah, I completely echo that as well, and it's quite funny. Um, I have a lot of people at work that have been really quiet over the last six to eight months about the football. In fact, they've not really said a word to me at all. And then they're just starting to pipe up now saying, oh, Arsenal look like they're bottling it and Arsenal look like they're throwing it away. But how can Arsenal be bottling the league if it was never an expectation in the first place? Because, mm. you know, after last season, the expectation or the target for Arsenal was to get top four, get back in the Champions League. And that was kind of the minimum for this season. So for us to even be in this position in the first place is already not bottling it. It's as having a real go at a title charge. It's something that no one really expects us to do. If we were to end up not winning it after being in the position that we were in, it would be really disappointing and we'll all be very disappointed. Mm. But... You know, it's it's definitely not a bottle job. Um, you're going up against a team like Man City that've got a Norwegian cyborg up front who's netted upwards of mm. 32 goals already in the Premier League, and he's still got eight or nine games left to to break that record. So, and they get goals from all over the pitch. So it's it's not a bottle job at all. But we've got to think of the positives. Where we are, as you say, still four points ahead. Um, and we're we're in the more comfortable position than than Man City. You know, we've got the points on the board. Who's to say they don't have a perfect run to the end of the season? It's not a given. And um, I think we all expected that at some point we were going to have a bit of a a bit of a bump in the road. And unfortunately, it's come concurrently with the Liverpool and West Ham game, and it, it feels like a bigger bigger bump because it's been two games in a row, sort of thing, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I think that's it. Um, and I think there's going to be twists and turns. There's no doubt about it. There's going to be three or four twists or turns until um, the end of the season. And it's just where those twists will be. Um, I think ultimately what it comes down to, and I think it's what we've always known, is that game on the 26th um, against Man City. It's, it's colossal. Um, and if we really want to to win the title and to prove that we deserve to win the title, we have to go there and we have to win because, you know, a draw could still be, you know, there are still pros to a draw. You know, I get that. But if, we can't lose to City three times in the season if you include the cup fixture and then sort of claim that we should have won the league. You know, do you know what I'm trying to say? It's just... We have to yeah. go there and we have to play like we deserve to win the title. And I honestly, I think we have got the ability to do it. I think what's massive for me is, is we've just got that starting 11 that that we have relied on upon all season. And that includes big players like Saliba and Zinchenko and Jesus firing all, all cylinders. Um, and even the other players that have been so consistent for us all season, like Saka and Partey and Odegaard, they need to be on the top of their game on that, in that fixture as well. And um, that's what it's come, going to come down to uh, if we're going to have all those things go our way, I think. 
Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, and it, it's quite clear when we take a few of those big names out of our squad, then the uh, the quality can drop. So it's essential that we do have as many of these players to be able to come into this running and uh, pick up as many points as possible. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really interesting to see how we're actually going to fare in that Man City game. It, it does feel like it's always going to be a title decider, but I, I don't want to downplay the fact that we've drawn this game. Um, but it doesn't really change anything in the grand scheme of things, because if we're going to assume that Man City are going to win all of their games, then if we have had won this game uh, and, for example, if Man City beat us, um, then they would be above us on goal difference sort of thing. And for us to draw this game, then they would still win like two points clear. So it doesn't make a massive difference in terms of if Man City still win all of their games. Um, it just means that we've got to win all of ours and not lose at Man City. So it doesn't change a massive amount, but it is still frustrating because it would have been nicer to get the points on the board and then have that allowance to maybe drop points and get a draw away at Newcastle, for example. It means that we, we can't afford to do that now. We don't have that in the bank kind of thing. We, we need to yeah. be getting maximum points from every single game, don't we? We do. Uh, and I think, again, this comes down to the experience um, difference between the two teams. I think the average age of the City team is around 28. Ours is around 24. So that's essentially four seasons worth of experience uh, in those Man City players' minds. Uh, and that gives them that little tactical and psychological advantage of, of I've been there and I've done that. Um on the flip side, we've got a bunch of youngsters that are really, really hungry um, and they've got a real opportunity here of, of doing something really special and and essentially making history, you know. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a really interesting game and on on one side, I'm, I can't wait for it. It's going to be such a, a brilliant game. But on the other, I'm absolutely dreading it because I don't know how I'm going to be able to physically watch it without hiding behind, you know, the sofa or whatever. Um <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's uh, such a tantalising game, and uh, yeah, fingers crossed we can uh, get something. Yeah, but before we actually get to that game, we're uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the game that we played at the weekend and where things might have gone wrong for us as well. Um, it's important that we can't we can't just glaze over it. I'm afraid we can't just get past it. We've got to we've got to talk about it. So, team sheets is where we always start. Um, most notably, Zinchenko was actually out of the fold for the uh, for the game, and we had Tierney starting. Now, for me personally, I was actually pretty happy. Uh, obviously, not happy that Zinchenko wasn't in the team, but I was quite happy for Kieran Tierney to be able to get a start in in a game like this. Um, and he, in my mind, feels like an adequate um, substitution, an adequate guy to come in for Zinchenko when he's not there. What, what were your thoughts on uh, Tierney coming into the first eleven for this game? Yeah, I mean, I remember saying to you because we watched the game together um, when when um, Tierney was selected that it's such a, a brilliant option to be able to have off the bench, isn't it? Because in terms of an actual quality left back that is what you get with Tierney but what you don't get is that that inverted sort of midfield presence that Zinchenko brings and that overload in midfield I mean we'll get onto this a little bit later and Tierney did try that but it didn't quite work anywhere near as effective as it would have done with Zinchenko there um, but you know I, I really like Tierney I think he's I think he's a brilliant player. Um, it's just there's a certain game that suits him and there's a certain game that doesn't. And this, on paper, really should have been a game that probably should have suited him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think the only the only flaw with Tierney is the fact that as a player in general, he's a cracking player. He's a fantastic left-back, uh, an amazing defender, um, and he's great going down the wing, um, putting balls and that sort of thing. But stylistically, he's just not what the team is set up and not what the team is designed to have in that position. The, the reason we've had so much success this season is because we've had that inverted role. 
we've had the quality of Zinchenko to be able to step in there and pick out passes and and help build attacks from from that area, and then that gives license to the likes of Xhaka to be able to bomb forward. Um, which you know when when you don't have that and you don't have someone stepping in there, then you have knock-on effects almost. You have Xhaka that has to be more reserved, and then all of a sudden the whole structure of the team is affected. So I can see why everybody likes Tierney because he is a really good player. But yeah, it does definitely affect the way that we we build things up. But that being said, it didn't have too much of a bad effect on us starting this game, did it? We actually started it like a house on fire, didn't we? We did. Again, another quick start, like in the um, Liverpool game. Um, we got off to a, an early goal with the man himself, Jesus. Um, was great play, to be fair, from Odegaard, uh, who found White, and then he fizzes across back to the back sticks, and uh, Jesus just taps it in, basically, doesn't he? So I think he's at three goals in three games for him now. Um, something like that. Anyway, he's, he's on fine form since coming back into the team, and um, that is a really uh, important aspect to be fair I, I know i keep bringing this city game into it but <laughs> if we want to win this game uh we're going to be needing a fire in jesus especially with it being his old club you know he's got that little point to prove and if he can if he can go to arsenal and then win the league um by beating his old club you know what a way to do it so i think to have a, an informed jesus at the minute is is really really good yeah, well, I completely agree, and I think it's impossible to ignore the City game, isn't it? You can't, we can't just forget about it because you know it's right on the horizon. And yeah, it's it is really good to see that Jesus is. If there's any sort of silver lining from this game, it's the fact that he's scored again and he's keeping that consistent form. Because if he's scoring in every game that we're playing, then he's going to look like a constant threat. Which you know, it, it was not the most, you know amazing goal for him to have scored but he has to be there and he has to be in that position to be able to to tap it in and that is all positioning really isn't it and we've seen Haaland's mm. probably got 15 of those tappings this season and everyone's raving about him so yeah it's it's really good that Jesus was there to score that goal and it was a great pick out from Odegaard to find Ben White who I think Ben White has been quite underrated this season um, with how much attacking threat he actually brings Um he he was fantastic, especially in that in that opening half an hour, getting down the right hand side. So quality ball across, great finish. Mm. Uh, yeah, you're right. You know that is something he's he's really improved upon. I would say since the World Cup, um, pre World Cup, he was very much like a he'd have little moments with Saka out on the right, but he'd never overlap him too much. Um, now you're seeing him invert and overlap. He just he just does what's needed at the time. Um, whilst always being back, ready to defend if needs be. So, yeah, he's he's really in good form as well, uh, White, at the minute. And, yeah, that was a great little little run and a great little pick out at the, at the back sticks. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we've raced into a 1-0 lead and we're looking for a second. And, boy, did we get a second. Not long after, I think it was 7th and the 10th minute, wasn't it, um, that we scored? So <clears throat> Martinelli gets the ball on the edge of the box and he gets his head up and he sees that Odegaard is free at the back stick. Beautiful ball in. And then Odegaard, what what finesse on this ball. He just cushions it almost in, into the back of the net. Um, really good goal. 2-0. We're cruising. We're in dreamland. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 2-0 up. 10 minutes to go. Like you say at the start of the podcast, it's like as if we're reliving the... Um the Liverpool game. Um, and part of me thought, you know, oh God, are we going to have flashbacks to that game and, and sort of, I don't know what it is, but we seem to somehow slump back a little bit. I think the game's almost dead and buried at 2-0 when that's never the case in the Premier League. It doesn't matter who you're playing. Um, and, you know, Let's talk about the goal first, to be fair, because it was a brilliantly crafted goal. I mean, Martinelli as well. I think he he had, is it Kufal out there that was sort of the man marking him? I think that looked like a, a huge mismatch. Um, the right back just could not cope with Martinelli. And 
he was creating acres of space for himself and, and that's exactly why he, he had so much time to pick that pass um so yeah it was a great goal great finish um i think you, you saw jesus sort of asking for it as well he was really begging for that pass to be uh again put put back across to him for a little tap in and that is a, a normally an odegaard thing to do he's very um unselfish like that isn't he he's, he's almost a little bit like Ozil um where he's always looking for the, the the assist rather than the goal um but to be fair I like that about Odegaard now he's now got that eye for goal um so yeah great goal um yeah not much more to say about it than that to be fair yeah that is quite key for us to actually bring up the fact that what we've been asking of Odegaard is to be more ruthless and actually take shots and and not always look for the assist because a lot of the time it can get snuffed out and um, or you can miss hit it, over hit it. And sometimes all you got to do is just try and welly it and it will go in. And he did that and it was pretty much spot on. And um, yeah, as, as you say, we were both sat in the pub watching this game and we had a little joke with each other, didn't we? We were like, oh, we're 2-0 up, we're cruising. And we're like... Uh, it, it can't be the same as what happened last week, can it? Like a bit of bit of banter between us, and then, well, what what happened following that was uh, a bit unfortunate, wasn't it? It was, um, yeah. Like I was saying, it we just seem to take our, we just seem to drop drop a gear, don't we? Um, naively, it, again, it might be to do with the age of the players, um, the inexperience of how to manage a game. But if you if you watch teams like City when they're in this position, they they go for the jugular, they go for more goals, they they put that nail in the coffin and make sure that there is absolutely no option of getting back into this game. If they do concede a goal, it's nine times out of ten a consolation uh, from a set piece or something like that. And yet we give silly mistakes away um, and almost. Just allow them back into the game, um, and, and it, once once that happens, it's really really hard to get back. Um, so yeah, yeah, again, it it was disappointing that. So, well, should we talk about the way and the manner that West Ham actually managed to find this mm. goal? So, it all stemmed from someone who's been one of our most consistent performers this season. Someone who you'd always rely on to be able to. Um, deal with this and gather it in and, and be press resistant. And that's actually Thomas Partey. Now the ball comes to him and he just tries to flick it over Declan Rice, doesn't he? Um, something which nine times out of 10, he'd probably pull off. Um, but he had the opportunity to maybe pass it back to Ramsdale or to go either side, but he, he opts for the flick over. And in the moment, I genuinely thought that Rice handled the ball Um and to be honest, still now, I do think that there was an aspect of him handling the ball um, at this point. But um, it it wasn't given as handball. So he then intercepted and ran through on goal, to which um, the ball then spilled out. Um, and was it Gabriel who, who then overcommitted? And this is something which Gabriel tends to do a lot. He tends to panic when the ball's in the box and he goes to ground really quickly. Um, I, I do feel like what you should do is stay on your feet, um, maybe try and usher them to have a worse angle and then <clears throat> rely on your keeper to be able to cover his near post. Um, but yeah, Gabriel goes to ground pretty early, pretty easily. And then the the contact is minimal, very minimal contact on the West Ham player. Um, and he just gets barreled over, doesn't he? It, it, in fact, it does almost seem like it was simulation. I know I'm a little bit biased because I'm an Arsenal fan, but it's just the it, it's it's both of them, isn't it? It's the fact that there was the potential handling of the ball, the ball then going through, and then the real light contact, and then the penalties given. Um, in my opinion, I feel like if the penalty wasn't given by the referee, then it's not going to get overturned. Um, but it's it's just the way that it happened. He gave the penalty and then VAR didn't see enough to then overturn him, did they? Yeah. I mean, there's so many aspects to this moment in the game that that I want to pick out. The, the first being, yeah, the handball thing. For, for me, I've seen the images. He, it, he clearly sort of, 
uses his arms in a way that sort of bundles the ball into his path so he can play in Paqueta um, to, to run into the, the penalty area. So I, I don't understand how that's not been... We watched the game without commentary, so I, I don't know what the commentators were saying. I don't know whether it got looked at VAR because I couldn't see them look at it on, on the screen. So I really am not sure what happened here. Um, but for me, I, I, I'm just... In any other game in, in, the, in the league, I've seen those given all the time. Um, any sort of brush of the arm, they're straight on it to, to rule out, especially if it's leading towards um, a goal opportunity or a penalty decision. Um, so that, that's the first thing that I'm a little bit aggrieved about. Uh, and some might call me biased, yeah, um, but uh, I would not be happy with that if it was the other way around. That's That's, you know... That's for sure. Like, I, I don't think it, that that would be fair. Um, and yeah, you, you're also right about the Paqueta going down easily. But at the same time, Gabriel shouldn't be going to ground there. You know, he sort of brings it on himself. The the sort of contact is almost like um, Paqueta going into Gabriel once he's already on the ground, though. So I don't know if that changes things slightly. Uh, but for me, you know, once you go to ground there, you're just asking for it. Um, and this is something that Gabriel really did sort of like. He he did have it in his game, especially earlier on in the season. Um, I think he did it in that in the Spurs game um, where we conceded a penalty. I think it was Richarlison in the box, and you know that that took it to one-one, and it was a really frustrating point. But ever since that that sort of situation, he's sort of ironed it out of his game a little bit. So to see that creep back into his game is disappointing because that really does really doesn't fill you with confidence um when you've got those sort of players in the box because holding is also a little bit liable for those sort of rash decisions i mean we saw it early on in the half where he gave a foul away just outside the box gave them a, a dangerous free kick that could have easily been a penalty had it been just a split second later um so yeah not not a great combination with those two at the back at the minute for for these sorts of um, rash tackles, and we've seen it in the last two games, haven't we? We was considered a penalty in the Liverpool game too. Um, so yeah, and then and then the third aspect is is Thomas Partey. Um, disappointing um, performance from him. I don't want to get on his back too much because he's been brilliant this season. Um, mm. But we have to be honest uh, and just and, and analyze his performance in this game and yeah it, it wasn't to his normal standard I think everyone can see that um, I don't know why I, don't, I, don't, I honestly I can't put my my finger on it really um, it just once uh, West Ham started to get into the game they just uh, the pressure was too much for him he couldn't he couldn't get the ball and dish it out in, in his normal quick paced fashion he just was too slow on the ball too slow on the turn and he just couldn't keep up with, with the game yeah. Yeah, I kind of agree. Um, and the thing with Thomas Partey, to me, what really stands out is the fact that he's such a confidence player. Um, because in the first 20 minutes or so, he was fantastic. He, he was probably one of the main reasons why we went 2-0 up in the first place. He was on it. He was passing superbly and breaking the lines and uh, calm on the ball. But then as soon as he makes a mistake in the game, it's almost like he's a Jenga tower and then everything starts to crumble around him. And uh, one thing leads to another and then he makes a, an even worse decision. And then he, he's getting his passes wrong. And then all of a sudden he, he can't even make a five yard pass without getting it skew if and maybe passing it out for a throwing kind of thing. So he, he definitely speaks out to me to being a, a confidence player. And when he is confident, he's one of the best in the league. Um, but yeah, today just wasn't his day. Um, after that first 20 minutes. And um, interesting what you're saying about Gabriel. Do you think there's a, a factor of Gabriel maybe overcompensating because of the fact that Holding has these flaws in his game? The fact that he sees himself as the the senior centre-back of the pair, the, the, the player that needs to step up now because him and Salibra are pretty much even. So they, they kind of, they don't have to, they don't have to help each other out as much because they have faith in each other's ability. 
But do you feel like there's a fact that Gabriel overcompensates for for Holding's flaws, and that he, he tries to go for these last ditch tackles, and he he's diving in to to try and do as much as he physically physically can when sometimes it's not necessary. Mm, I think I think you probably hit the nail on the head there. To be honest, I think he yeah he does try and overcompensate to a degree. Um, it I think. It's no sort of jab at Rob Holden because I think he's done well um, in in Saliba's absence to a degree, but he's just not Saliba. Saliba is is virgin on world class at the age of twenty one or however old he is. He is a phenomenal centre back, and so is Gabriel. Their partnership is the best in the league, in my opinion. Um, so I think when you just take that away, it it just creates a little bit more chaos um, for Gabriel. And that's why you see him making these rush challenges um, more and more over the last few games. Um, which is, goes back to my point of why I really do want to see Saliba back at all costs. I'm, I'm hoping it's not worth it for this next game against Southampton, obviously, um, because with all due respect, that just has to be a, a gimme, doesn't it? It has to be a win. Um so if we can have um, Saliba just you know five days fitter, uh, if, if, you know, then 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 we'll we'll do that. Um, yeah. However, um, yeah, I, I do think you've you've hit the nail on the head there, and it, it's almost it's almost poetic as well. Going back to the penalty, um, how it was Rice that dispossessed Partey in the midfield, and <laughs> goes on to provide that that uh, that. Well, goal opportunity, I guess, for West Ham um, because obviously we've been heavily linked with Rice. Um, so yeah, it was just frustrating as well. Yeah, it, it gives you a little bit of a glimpse at how much of a threat Rice can actually be, even though he's in a deep line midfield role, but he's still breaking the lines and he's creating opportunities for his team as well. It's the sort of thing that we could use in our team, but. Um, uh, it's a shame that Mikel Arteta didn't whisper in his ear saying, look, if you want to come to our club next season, then you can't be doing things like this. <laughs> you can't be scoring, creating opportunities against us. Yeah. But no, obviously, um, that, that's the thing with Saliba as well. Um, I actually think that if he's not in the team against Man City, and I don't want to be a negative Nancy here, but I do genuinely think if he's not in the team against against Man City, then we don't really have much of a chance against them. I, I really don't fancy Rob Holding against Erling Haaland. I think that is a complete mismatch. Uh, we saw it for, what, 20, 30 minutes in the cup game uh, where he just absolutely tore him apart and then Saliba came on and he was he was a lot better against Haaland. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's something that needs to happen. We need to get him back ASAP. Um, but going back to the game a little bit, we're, we're sat there. We've been sucker punched and it's 2-1. And we looked at each other and we went, this can't be happening again, can it? We, we cannot be we, we cannot be conceding another goal to West Ham. Um, we said we just wanted to get to half-time, get to 2-1, which we did um, at half-time, reset and then come back out of the blocks in the second half. Exactly, yeah. And, and to a degree, we did a little bit, didn't we? We started to come into the game a little bit more. Halftime did come at a, a good point because it yeah, allowed us to, to reset and get back into that dominating fashion that we were in for the majority of that first half. And I think it was on the 51st minute, Martinelli has that um, shot uh, with the sort of loose ball that, that spilled out. And then it hits Antonio's hand, um, which to me, like, it was it's a handball, but it's, it's less of a handball than the, the rice one. Uh, so, you know, um, you know, make that make sense. I don't know. Um, we get the penalty. Um, so you're thinking buzzing. Um, great opportunity to get sort of back to, to 3-1 uh, early on in the half, and then we can progress on from there. But um, sadly, um, Saka misses the target. Yeah, that's something that we've not actually come accustomed to this season, is it? Saka actually missing a penalty. And I know I saw loads of backlash on Twitter, people saying, why are you having Saka take a high-pressure penalty after you know what happened in the Euros? And it's like, 
Have you guys not watched this season? Have you guys not watched how many penalties he's put away this season? This is the first, I'm pretty sure, that he's actually missed this season. Um, and he's converted with, with such a high success rate that it would have been ludicrous for anybody else to take it. Um, Jesus, we know he's not got a great penalty scoring record, so he wouldn't have been a, a great option either. Um, so, yeah, you, you can't not let Saka take that penalty, especially when he's put so many away. Um, the only thing for me which is really disappointing is the fact that he missed the target completely. Um, I think yeah. if you're a professional player, you've got to get it on target. You, you absolutely have to. But the, these things happen. And to top quality players, you know, we, we saw it in the, in the World Cup, Harry Kane skying that penalty. He's a top quality player who you'd expect to always finish that. We saw it last week. Salah missed a penalty against us, put it wide, similar to Saka's, similar to Saka's penalty. All players miss penalties now and then. It's going to happen. Um, it's just really disappointing that it came at a time in the game where we were 2-1. And if we were to then put it to 3-1, then West Ham would have been dead and buried. The uh, comeback would have been non-existent for them. And you would have thought mm. we could then see the game out. But um, it is also quite interesting what you say about Antonio's handball, um, how it seemed like less of a handball than the Rice one. And I tend to agree as well, the fact that Martinelli, he goes for the shot. And Antonio, he's only about a yard or so away. So it was really mm. difficult for him to to actually get out of the way of that shot. Um, so if anything, that's less of a handball than somebody actually handling the ball into their path to then stride on with the ball and create an opportunity. So for me, that's, that's crazy. Um, but albeit it was a handball uh, and should have been a handball just because of where his, his his hand was. It was extended. He made himself bigger and he, he stopped the, the shot coming in. So for me, they yeah. should both be handballs and yeah, only one went our way, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, mm. this was this was a great opportunity and it's the sort of opportunity that unfortunately we see Man City take all the time um, in their game that they played the other day. They had a penalty Um kind of different sort of scenario but I think there were only two were they one nil up at the time or maybe two nil up at the time um, and then they mm. they just killed the game off Haaland absolutely he's he's so composed isn't he on the spot and you'd never expect him to not bury that and um, that's the difference at the minute isn't it I think it's just a lack of composure um, in the in these high pressure moments um, but yeah so unfortunate to not go 3-1 up at that point yeah, and this is what I was talking about with City earlier. They just go for the jugular and they kill the game off. Um, it doesn't matter if it's if it's 2-0, 3-0. They'll just keep going. Um, and we saw in that game against Leicester that they were a bit fatigued in that second half and Leicester did come back into the game. And that's what can happen. To, in the Premier League, that can happen against anyone. Um, and, you know, fortunately for them, they, they had enough credit in the bank from their goals that it didn't really affect them in the end. Uh, it could have been a different story if Leicester had um, been a little bit more clinical. Yes, but um, ultimately, um, their, their goal margin got on that win, uncomfortable in the end. Um, and that's something we, we've got to learn from. But going back to the um, the Saka penalty miss, yeah, if there's any Arsenal fans giving him jip and, and trying to remind him about the Euros and stuff like that, you know, get a grip. You're not Arsenal fans if that's the case because, like you said, any player can can miss a penalty. Um, and he's been so brilliant uh, ever since that uh, Euros miss, to be fair. I think he's really um, shown courage to, to step up and take our penalties because we, we don't have a, a natural penalty taker. It was a Bamiyang. Um, and then Saka took that... Um, and usually, yeah, it would go to your number nine, your, your striker. But like you said, Jesus doesn't have a very good record. And even that one he scored, um, I think it was against Leeds. It wasn't the most convincing, if I'm being honest. Uh, I think on another day that gets saved. So, um, yeah, I think Saka's the penalty taker. And, and you know, he's, that's going to happen every now and again. Yeah. I think one thing that's worth highlighting as well is the fact that when we say about our, our key performers um, of of um, the majority of the games we've had this season, the likes of Partey, the likes of Saka, 
they really did underperform in this game. Um, Saka especially as well. This was not his best game at all. Um, and I felt quite bad for Mikel Arteta, really, um, just because So Saka had been underperforming. So in my eyes, I thought that maybe the best substitution for him to make in that instance is maybe to bring Saka off and um, bring on some fresh legs, bring on Trossard maybe in that position. Um, because as we know, Martinelli, he'd been a threat all game. Um, and he had Kufal on toast on that on that side, and you always feel like <laughs> you always feel like Martinelli's going to be a direct threat all game. Um, so f- for me, I would have wanted to bring Saka off, but then after he's missed that penalty, what sort of message would that send to Saka that you've missed a penalty and I'm going to take you off? It, it would have been a really negative message, and then that would have been hanging over his head. So. Michael Arteta in that instance is is almost tied to have to keep him on to to get him to play himself back into form during the game or at least not hook him off straight away because for a young player mm. then that can really knock your confidence so that was a difficult one for me um but you know we mm. uh, we can see uh, we he, we missed that goal uh, we missed that shot sorry from the penalty and that was a real turning point in the game because the West Ham fans they got up um, West Ham went straight up the other end a couple of minutes later and it was such an easily flighted ball over the top of pretty much two banks of our defence, wasn't it? It's just one easy ball over the top to Bowen who, he takes it quite well to be fair to him. He uh, he, he uh, cushions it, similar to the Odegaard goal actually, he cushions it in a similar position. Um, and Ramsdale, I feel like if I'm being critical of him, probably should have done better at his near post. He got a hand to it, probably should have saved this one. Um, but I don't want to be too critical of Ramsdale because the amount of points that he saved us this season, even in the Liverpool game in the last in the last match, we could have quite easily lost that if Ramsdale wasn't between the sticks. So not a good moment for him either, really, was it? Oh, and that was going to be my next question for you, actually. Do, do you think Ramsdale should have done better there? Because I've not seen too much discussion around this, but it is something that I also thought, um, you know, he does get a hand to it. And, and it is a it is a volley at the end of the day, so it's carrying a lot of pace. Um, so maybe we're, we're being a little bit harsh. Um, but I think on another day, he probably would save that. Um, he just maybe just didn't get quite get sight of it or, or something like that. But... Yeah, like you say, a really frustrating goal to concede, just going straight over, you know, a whole team basically, um, and to for him to volley it away like that, it's uh, there's got to be questions asked, hasn't there? Um, and it's a shame because the, the substitutions in midfield with um, um, Jorginho coming in for Partey, I thought actually worked quite well, um, like Partey. Uh, Jorginho did bring an element of control into the midfield and we were passing it around a little bit bit better. So I was thinking, all right, here we go. Can we get it back now with, with you know, with a bit of control uh, into our game? But I think you hit the nail on the head with the with the other substitution and, and that's obviously um, Trossard coming on. I, I think he should have come on for Saka. Um, but yeah, like you say, taking him off after a penalty miss doesn't look good, despite that not being the reason. Everyone assumes it's the reason and that can affect someone mentally. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't his best day. Um, and I think, unfortunately, again, and this is something that I think is Arteta's biggest weakness and it is his in-game decision-making. His substitutions, they don't always hit the mark. They do sometimes. Um but, you know, a, a couple of times, and I'm thinking the last two fixtures, West Ham and Liverpool, they've just not been the right fix, uh, right substitutions at the right time. And I think it has ultimately maybe cost us two points today. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it's almost like a mirror image of the Liverpool game that he, he made the wrong decisions at the wrong time as well. Um, when he brought Kivior on in that game, um, what a strange decision that was for Odegaard, wasn't it? To sacrifice the midfield, basically, to let Liverpool have all the pressure and all the 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 ability to just run straight for us against 
what is a makeshift back five because holding doesn't usually play Kyrgios never really played in, the, in that back five and they didn't really know what they were doing and yeah very similar in this game where strange strange substitutions um Jorginho as you say yeah he 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 always looks good when he comes on to be honest um even when he he starts he's looked good um maybe after party's performance today it might be time for him to maybe get thrown into the uh, Southampton game I, I think there wasn't any um there wasn't much evidence of party training up to this game during the week so maybe he was carrying a bit of a knock um so if we can get him fresh get him out of the team just for one game and get him raring to go for that city game i think that might actually benefit us if uh, Jorginho can step in for Southampton and uh, if we get over the line in that game. But it's all if ifs and buts, isn't it? Um, bringing mm. Odegaard off as well, I thought that was a strange one because, you know, Odegaard, he only... It, this also wasn't his best game, but he's someone that's always prodding and probing. We know that Vieira's not quite there yet. Um, Jesus coming off as well. Mm. That That's that's strange. If, you, if there's any player in our team that can help unlock a defence... It's Jesus, and he only needs one moment to be able to do it. Um, and to bring on Inketia, who he's quite a direct forward. Um, he wants to run in behind, um, which we weren't having any joy of either, especially West Ham sat back quite a lot in the second half. It just seemed like a, a bit of an odd decision from Arteta. Um, but one thing that I would say about Arsenal is we just kind of didn't look like a team that were urging to score again. We, we we almost felt defeated after it was two all. There wasn't like an onslaught like we saw from Liverpool against us. Uh, they had an onslaught of chances and and trying to trying to batter us down and get that winner. We we didn't really even wake up then, did we? we there wasn't many opportunities falling our way. There wasn't much pressure going on. Even towards the end of the game, we were saying, right, come on, you've got a couple more couple more minutes, just. Just throw everything, throw the kitchen sink at them. And they were just passing it round the back. And you're thinking, mm. come on, make something happen, do something. Someone just take a risk and go for it. But they just, it was almost like they had the tail between their legs and they, they didn't want to make a mistake and lose the game, did they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it was just a, a bit of a bad day at the office. And I think by that point, they'd, they'd saw, almost accepted the draw. Um which, yeah, is disappointing in itself. Um, and, yeah, we should be throwing the kitchen sink at it. Um, but, again, the substitutions didn't really reflect that. It, but it, it's not really their fault. I mean, this game was sort of crying out for, like, getting a big big centre-forward on there, like like the, all the other teams do. And yet we're bringing on Trossard, who's, you know, we need someone in there, you know, creating things, creating chaos. And, you know, he did that to to a degree, but it's just not in the, the right sort of way. Um, so I do wonder if maybe when the, the summer comes, will we sort of invest in, in maybe more of a traditional big big centre forward, you know, like a Vlahovic, you know, could we, we were linked with him in the past, that obviously was in Arteta's mind at some point. So is it still in his mind? Is that something that maybe he would think about because it would give us that sort of extra option off the bench? Because at the minute, when you look at our bench options, they just don't really fill me with much. I mean, they're all strong players in their own right, but they don't really offer you that that sort of mm. that chaos that, that can grab you something in, in a game like this. Um, yeah. yeah, Vieira came on for Odegaard. I didn't even. I don't think I can even recall any touches of note uh, from him. And I thought Odegaard did all right in this game. To be fair, I think he was he was decent despite despite the draw. Um, certainly a lot better than the Liverpool game, that that is for sure. Um, but yeah, just lacklustre really from, from the bench. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about getting a, a tall aerial um, striker in, in the summer. And I do think that is somewhere we're really missing this season because yes, it's not the way that we set up. It's not the way that we like to play. But sometimes the way that you like to play doesn't work and when it's not working you need to change it and when you're going to change it you've got to you've got to bring on a big forward um and yeah as you say kitchen sink time you last 10 minutes just get that big forward in the box and lump as many balls in there as you can and then you know you play the numbers game hopefully he gets his head on on the end of it it's the sort of game that you wish you had 
Olivier Giroud on the bench, don't you? To to be able to bring him on and uh, mm. fumble it into the net, however he used to do. Um, uh, to be fair, he used to love love scoring against West Ham, didn't he? Some of his goals, whew. Uh, but you know, gone are those days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, yeah. though, we, we ended up ended up drawing this game, uh, a game that we all were expecting us to to win, especially with West Ham being in in the position that they're in. Um, but we can't underestimate these teams that are near the bottom of the table. They're also scrapping fine for their lives and. There are going to be a lot of twists and turns in these last few weeks. You, you can't write any of these teams off. Um, Brent, um, Man City as well, they've got to play a few of these teams. And you never know, one of them might just step up and perform and uh, do us a favour. Or ultimately, they, they could you know, do it against us. So it's, it's mm. never a given in the Premier League. Um, even Southampton next week, I don't think that's a given. Uh, even though the bottom of the table... They could surprise us, so we've got to be on our A game, and we've got to be getting maximum points from this game, and and killing the games when we when we're ahead. When we're two 0 up, we can't be sacrificing leads like we have in the in the last two games. It's just it's not acceptable. And if you want to win a Premier League, you just you just simply can't do that. Yeah, and we're going to need to bury that like that sort of two 0 hoodoo thing now, which it's going to be difficult because. Best case scenario, we go we go two nil up. You're thinking brilliant, brilliant, but in the back of your mind and in the back of the players' minds, it's going to be this Liverpool game. It's going to be this West Ham game. So now we've got that sort of extra little thing to to think about. So yes, it, it isn't a guaranteed three points. No game is, um, but it's one where if we, if we don't get three points with that fixture going into the Man City one, then you know then we're sort of. But we're we're panicking a little bit. Let's be honest. So, um, so fingers crossed, we can get the win there, and then that at least we're going into that city fixture with three points behind us, a bit of confidence. Hopefully, uh, Saliba's back. Um, maybe some rested players in the Southampton game. Who knows? Um, and then let's go to toe to toe with Man City, and uh, winner takes all. You'd like to think? Yeah. Yeah, it does really have that feel about it, doesn't it? The, the whole winner-takes-all aspect of it. Um, and the thing that I also want to bring up is the fact that if we do beat Southampton, then we could go into that game against Man City with a is it seven or eight-point gap between us and Man City. So that I know they will have two games in hand, but psychologically, it is a massive gap. We've got the points on the board. And they're thinking they've got to compete in the FA Cup. They've got to compete in the Champions League. They've got to compete in the Premier League. And as we saw, although they have such strength in depth, these players were wiltering at the end of that Leicester game, um, as you said earlier. So hopefully, mm. fingers crossed, they're going to have to rotate and they're going to have to maybe prioritise one or the other. And I think in Man City's eyes, if they're going to prioritise anything, it would be the Champions League. Unfortunately for us, they won the first leg 3 nil against Bayern Munich, so potentially they might even rest players in that in the second leg. Um, I, I don't know if they would, but I'm saying they they might not even, you know, Haaland might have a rest. They'd bring on Alvarez yeah. and see if they could see the game out. And we, we don't want to have a cyborg recharging. Um, that, that's one thing that we, do, we absolutely don't want. But this is something that I'm getting sucked into and all Arsenal fans are getting sucked into is the fact that I'm focusing on Man City and what they're doing. And I know it is important, but at the same time, if we win all of our matches until the end of the season, then we've won the league. It's, it is that simple. If we win all our games, we've won the league. So that's what we need to do game by game, three points, and three points, and then, then we'll be there. And if we're there or thereabouts in the last few games, then we've got a real chance of doing it. Um, and yeah, the last two games of the season, we've got, I think it's Nottingham Forest and Wolves. Forest, they could be dead and buried by that point. Um, and Wolves, they could be on the beach. So you're thinking, fingers crossed. And, and then Man City, they've got Brighton away as their last game, which is a really tough game, isn't it? And they've got Brentford as well. So mm. it's not it's not over just yet. I know it's really disappointing to get two points from two games in, the, in these last two games, one that you're really expecting to win. But... I think in our prediction, we said that we would probably lose the game at Anfield and win this game. So 
we're actually only one point behind schedule. Um, so it's not all doom and gloom, is it? It's not. And City aren't winning all their remaining games. There's, there's just no way that's happening. I know they won the last 10, but we'll forget about that. Like, <laughs> they're going to... They're going to drop points at some point. I, I just can feel it. Um, the only thing is, you know, we quite possibly could too. Um, so it's going to go down to the wire, um, I think. Um, and like we keep saying, this game on Wednesday next week is going to be huge. But to be honest, I come away from this this chat feeling kind of more... Be- I just feel more confident now. I feel, I feel better about it. I think... Um, it's 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 been some sort of like therapy for me, so I hope that's come across <laughs> for, the, for the listeners too. The the Arsenal ramble therapy session is everything that you need uh, to to get rid of the doom and gloom and the woes of the, the Arsenal dropping points. It's it's uh, definitely a good thing. Um, is there anything else that you want to touch on from today's game at all, or um, should we wrap it up, kind of thing? Yeah, I think we should wrap it up. I think we've we've talked about just about everything there. Okay, guys, uh, just to let you all know, if you fancy um, giving us a bit of extra support, for the price of a cup of coffee, we actually have a link in our description, and it's for buymeacoffee.com. Just a little something if you want to show us some support, um, and we'll be eternally grateful if you were to do that. So I thought we'd uh, drop that in there as well. Uh, And we'll be back next week after we play Southampton. Um, Until next time, see you later, guys. Okay, guys, bye. You're listening to the Arsenal Rumble.